Podcast New York. What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy. Because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and I will be representing January of 1987 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, and getting jiggy with the 90s, say hello to Man Crush. What up? I have midway through my senior year, January 1996. Also joining us on the panel and trucking back to the 70s, please welcome back Joe Finley. Hello. You have chosen Joe Findlay. He is doing January 1979. And I'm excited about it. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. This week's guest judge is no stranger to fans of the show. Back behind the bench by request, it's the incomparable Mike Ranger. Hello, everybody. It's Mike Ranger from the Video Rangers podcast, and the drugs are kicking in. <laughs> <laughs> that is the biggest microphone cover I've ever seen in my life. Let me just tell you. Well, uh, it's uh, supposed to help with my plosives. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a gigantic afro. Yeah, I like it. Um, I call it uh, Freddie Boom Boom Washington. Nice, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. The following contest will be held under dueling decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five dueling decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and, of course, hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie after all five rounds, we will go to a final wildcard round. Remember, duelers, to review the show. Listen, subscribe, and play along at home. It's time for more Dueling Decades. <laughs> All right, let's head right on down to guest judge Mike Ranger for the coin toss. All right, today, boys and girls, we'll be flipping a VHS copy of The Purple People Eater, uh, starring the great uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, so uh, who's going to call it? Mark, why don't you call it for once? All right, I'll uh, I'll go tails. All right, one, two. Tails, it is Mark. Wow! Woo. So I win the coin toss. I take control of the board and get to select our first category. All right, gentlemen, let's start this episode off with a bang. Let's go to the movies round. What a great idea! <laughs> movies, yay! All right, guys. You know, sometimes here on the show. It's fun to find a bad review for a good movie. Well, this is one of those cases where it was hard to find a good review for this movie. But we're going to go ahead and go straight to the pages of the Quad City Times down in Davenport, Iowa on January 9th, 1987. 
where a headline reads, Brat Packers Meet Farm Crisis, a la Bonnie and Clyde in Surprising Movie. Emilio Estevez tackles the issue of modern heroes and antiheroes as director, writer, and star of the black comedy, Wisdom. His efforts adds up to one of the most significant movies of the winter. Estevez, as Wisdom, is a 23-year-old suburban college graduate who lives with his parents, but has a record as a convicted felon. He took a Pontiac Chan Zam for a joyride when he was in high school, which makes it impossible for him to hold jobs. When his longtime girlfriend Karen Simmons, played by fellow Brat Packer and fiancé Demi Moore, breaks up with him, which I'm actually not sure if that happens in the movie, oddly enough, uh, he buys a used Uzi and some Rambo-style clothes and decides to blow up mortgage records from the bank. He doesn't rob the banks. He's just buying time for farmers and other property owners facing foreclosure. He inevitably involves Demi Moore in the scheme, and the two began a road trip that takes them through the Southwest as they become folk heroes and a couple of modern-day Robin Hoods. So I give to you Wisdom, released worldwide January 2nd, 1987. It makes a lot more sense than what I thought you were talking about, because <laughs> you said black comedy, and I thought you were talking about like a, like a Tyler Perry movie or something. I was like, that is a weird cast. Yes, from 1987, <laughs> Tyler Perry made a lot of movies then. Big year for him. Hey, it yeah. might have been. Who knows? <laughs> All right, let's go to Joe Finley for the movies round. All right, well, I'll take you into some black comedy. Uh, this is the first ever full-length stand-up concert ever to be released as a film. There have been other uh, stand-up concerts released on home video and shorter to not be considered a feature, but this is the first one, and actually, Eddie Murphy says this is his favorite one that was ever made. I give you, from January 26, 1979, Richard Pryor, live in concert. Uh, this movie actually earned him a nomination with the National Society of Film Critics Awards for Best Actor, which I didn't know could be a thing for a stand-up comedian, but it was. Uh, it featured uh, Patti LaBelle in a scene that was cut from the film, but uh, she performed a musical act uh, within it, and it is just one of the great all-time stand-up films as well as it became a double album as well and it is just fantastic uh but yeah uh, january 26 1979 richard pryor live in concert all right man crush what did you bring for the movies round oh boy all right so let's go january 19th 1996 and i absolutely love when i draw 1996 well, it's it's not the best year on the books it is my graduation year and i recall like a bunch of stuff from 1996 and since i was driving legally by 1996 i also had the freedom to go to the movies whenever i wanted and at the time i had this gig washing like these disgusting uh transportation vans once a week and i made like a whopping 100 dollars cash every saturday no matter how many hours i worked so i probably wasn't even making minimum wage but it was it was fantastic to be 17 or so and get 100 bucks so since i was rolling in Scott I was a baller and I went to the movies like four or five times a month at this point. Like every week I was going to the movies at least once. But this particular movie, I saw it on opening night with a group of friends and a girl that I was dating. We made plans to go see this movie with a few friends. We were all locked and loaded to go. We get to the theater waiting in line. 
some girl that my date knows comes over to her and she starts to tell her how scary this movie was. The movie, uh, this movie was banned in Ireland for the amount of violence. So there's that. Uh, but of course, like she didn't want to see the movie anymore. Instead, she wanted to go see eye for an eye. So not only didn't she want to watch this surefire classic in the making, but she, she wanted to go see a fucking movie where a mother listens to her teenage daughter get killed on the phone. I mean, great date movie, you know? <laughs> Anyways, like nobody else wanted to see that. So we end up going to see this movie instead. And she was mad the entire night. This is the last date I ever went on with her. So I think Sally Field, she saved me on that one. So thank you, Sally, for that. Uh, but here's a movie. It took in roughly $60 million at the box office. It's around $100 million in 2021. Fucking weird to say. Uh, kind of under the radar, but this film actually did get two sequels. And its own television series. I was never too big of a fan of the sequels, but the television series, it was on El Rey. It was pretty good. Actually, it was, it was better than pretty good. I watched the whole thing. I binged it. It's good. So if you've never seen it, once we get to the end, go see it. A uh, little bit of a hint here, so I can go ahead and say that this was written by Robert Kurtzman. The screenplay was done by old Quentin Tarantino, and it was directed by Desperado's own Robert Rodriguez. So at this point, you, you probably have a pretty good idea where I'm going. Uh, but speaking of Desperado, insanely hot in this movie. Salma Hayek, she's in this movie. And supposedly, she almost walked away from this role because apparently she has what's called ophidophobia. ophidophobia. Do you guys know what ophidophobia is? Not a clue. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to fucking say. But it's the uh, the fear of snakes. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this fear, it would have kept her from being around snakes. So she couldn't do this role. She gets insanely scared. So... Robert Rodriguez, he made her believe that if she couldn't do this role, they were going to hire Madonna to do the role instead. So Salma Hayek, she goes to a shrink for like months prior to the shooting. And obviously he must have done the trick because she's in the fucking movie. Uh, so if you're into like all types of pussy, uh, including stinky pussy, <laughs> bloodsuckers, <laughs> Cheech Marin playing 17 different roles, heroes who are scumbags, George Clooney, who's transforming from doctor to stone cold killer. The drummer from Oingo Boingo, Tom Sex Machine Savini, Fred Williamson being a bad motherfucker, and skeezy trucker bars that you should definitely go right out and find yourself a copy of From Dusk Till Dawn. And uh, I, I, for, I always forget what his name is. Wilmer. What, what's Wilmer's fucking last name? From, Valderrama? Uh, yeah. He's in the, the, the spinoff TV show that was on El Rey. If you've never seen it, go check that out. If you've seen this movie before, it's actually pretty good. It's probably better than the sequels. I thought both sequels are kind of shit, but this movie was great and it saved me because otherwise who knows what, if I would have dated that girl longer. So fuck it. But, uh, from dust till dawn. <laughs> and what category of pussy did that girl fall under? I don't even know, nor would I, I mean, there, she would fall into one of them. Stingy, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stingy pussy, non-existent pussy. <laughs> We have no pussy. <laughs> All right, let's throw it down to Mike Ranger for the verdict on the movies round. Well, I tell you, that was some very interesting picks uh, for the, especially for to, to open up the show. Um, now, Mark, uh, first things first, I'd like to congratulate you on on uh, and th actually thank you more for your your effort. Uh, but you, but you did not win. Um, so uh, next, we're we're going to move on to. Uh, Nick with 1996. Now, out of everything mentioned here, if you asked me which one do I want to watch right now, it would be Dust Till Dawn. That's, 
it's timeless. Out of all three of these picks, I, I feel like that I love that movie. That movie's awesome. But, however, Joe with uh, 1979 and Richard Pryor is possibly one of the most influential uh, stand-ups. I mean, you you get an uh, Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, all from Richard Pryor's comedy. So just from uh, uh, an influ- influential standpoint, I'm sorry, the drugs are really kicking in now. Um, so yeah, I give it to Joe with uh, 1979 and Richard Pryor. You know what they need to have? You know, like in the NFL, they have coaching trees. So you have like yeah. Bill Belichick and it breaks down. They need to have like comedian trees because I think that's the one oh. genre where I think it really does break down. So you see Richard Pryor and you see all the people that, you know, were influenced by him. I think we really need that. And you yeah. see like how well they actually did long term because yeah. some yeah. comedians just flame out so quickly. Like they're very influential. They die or, you know, whatever happens. But it's nice to see that lineage kind of move on. So I think somebody needs to work on that. There's enough shit. There's enough apps. Somebody needs to work on that one. Make that uh, the comedian lineage app. Definitely the tree would probably have to start with Lenny Bruce and then branch off from there. Oh, it would be fucking great. And there are subsects of people who go towards Robert Klein, go towards George Carlin, go towards. Right. Exactly. Prior. But I mean, damn. All right, Joe Finley, you're first on the board and you get to select our next category. All right. Well, seeing as it's right in front of me, I'm looking right at it. Let's go with the news. Uh, I'm going to bring you some sports news from January 21st, 1979. It was Super Bowl 13 featuring the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys. And an interesting thing, both teams had previously won two Super Bowls. So this was going to be the first team to win three Super Bowls. Either way it went. Uh, the game itself actually featured 25 Hall of Famers, including Roger Staubach, Tony Dorsett, Terry Bradshaw, Joe Green, and Lynn Swan. The game had the Steelers ahead 35-17 to midway through the fourth quarter, only had to have Dallas score two touchdowns in the last two and a half minutes of the game, uh, and they came within four points, but then came up short on a bad onside kick. Uh, Terry Bradshaw was named the MVP of that match, uh, and he set two uh, Super Bowl records, uh, one for passing yards and one for throwing four touchdowns in the game. Uh, in all, 21 Super Bowl records were set in this game. I know it was still kind of early in the Super Bowl history, but a lot of records beaten by a lot of major heavy hitters, and this solidified uh, Pittsburgh as they called them, the team of the 70s. And this game was featured on the ESPN show, the NFL's greatest games. So Pittsburgh and Dallas, Super Bowl 13, January 21st, 1979. And Joe is Canadian, so uh, I'll fix this. It's uh, Tony Dorsett. Very sorry. (laughs) Very sorry. (laughs) All right, Man Crush, what do you have for the news round? Uh, Let's go January 1st. 1996 uh we finally have something worthwhile that rosie o'donnell is responsible for here uh the story came all because of one of the worst castings in cinematic history where rosie o'donnell plays betty rubble all right and uh this article it's how betty rubble became a chewable vitamin barney and wife reunited after 25 years after 25 years separation barney and betty rubble will finally be reunited inside the bottle of Flintstones vitamins. Uh, Betty, the cartoon character created by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, is becoming a chewable vitamin, just like Fred, Wilma, 
and her hubby Barney. Uh, she'll make her debut on shelves January 1st, thanks to, result, to the results of a national poll conducted by the Bayer Group. Uh, when the Vitamins first went on sale in 1969, Betty was the only major character from the cartoon series to be excluded. In fact, the Flintstones' pet Dino was also in there at the time. So why was she left out? Everyone wants to know this, okay? Well, Betty, and this is why uh, Rosie O'Donnell is a terrible casting, Betty Rubble's slender figure, if you ever looked at, at her waist, it was tiny. So when they, they made these initially, they put them in the test bottles, all of them broke in half because her waist was too thin. <laughs> I'm cutting a lot out of this article, but that's basically what happened. So they never put her in there. I mean, it made sense. And nobody, like, you know, it's not 2021. So people were like, where's fucking Betty? My name <laughs> Betty. I'm not taking it. Cancel vitamins. Yeah, nobody cared. Nobody cared. <laughs> then... And the article actually says, blame Rosie O'Donnell, who portrayed Betty in the Universal Pictures feature film last year. She expressed her disappointment about the vitamin situation during an interview with Connie Chung on the now defunct news magazine show Eye to Eye. That's funny. That's the second uh, Eye to Eye, well, somewhat, that I've had two picks in a row. But after this came about, they put out this poll and found that uh, out of 17,313 people that uh, recorded votes nationally, 91% were in favor of having a Betty vitamin. So people just wanted to eat Betty. And uh, on January 1st, 1996, we all got to eat Betty. <laughs> wow. There it is. <laughs> little side note to that, man crush. I don't know if you discovered this in your research, but the reason they were actually able to include the Betty vitamin this time is because they modeled the shape of the vitamin after Rosie O'Donnell, and that solved the breakage problem. Well, it did, but now all the kids got twice the amount of vitamin C, and they were <laughs> pissing razors. So there's that. All right, guys. So for my news selection, we're going to go over to the Santa Maria Times in Santa Maria, California, January 22nd, 1987. In an article where the headline reads, Franklin, first woman to be inducted. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inducted 15 founders of the music of heartbeat and blues on Wednesday, including the first woman to receive such an honor, Aretha Franklin. Inducted along with the Queen of Soul were the Coasters, Eddie Cochran, Bo Diddley, Marvin Gaye, Bill Haley, B.B. King, Ricky Nelson, Roy Orbison, Carl Perkins, Smokey Robinson, Big Joe Turner, Muddy Waters, and proving he's not only loved by Toasters, the great Jackie Wilson. Bruce Springsteen and Keith Richards, as well as Hall and & Oates and other stars, introduced the six rock and roll pioneers that were present at the $300 a seat black tie affair. Seven of the 15 inductees this year are living, all of them but Franklin attended. Actually, record producer Clive Davis read Aretha Franklin's acceptance speech. And it said, To be the first woman inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a historical moment and indeed a milestone in my career. It is with many thanks and appreciation that I proudly accept and take my place into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I give to you the Queen of Soul, Hall of Famer, January 1987. The next line was dot, dot, dot. Uh, unfortunately, Married with Children is on tonight and I cannot make it. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, what's funny about this is if you look this up, none of the articles written at the time say anything about her being the first woman inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If you look up anything that's been written since her death, 
everything says, oh, I, no, I can't believe that it took till 1987 for a woman to get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's outrageous. The first class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was all the way back in 1986. So, yes, this is the second class. <laughs> I mean, technically, it's like kind of like that argument that we had. I don't even remember what episode that was, but we had talked about this. I think it was what last year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees where they had like rappers going in and stuff. Yeah, and Whitney I mean, Houston. Yeah, and Whitney Houston. And so and that caught a lot of flack because they're not necessarily rock. And yeah. same thing with Aretha Franklin. It's not necessarily rock but i mean she did go in yeah. at one of the first classes so i guess they but, did yeah. set the stage back then yeah yeah but yeah music hall of fame that makes perfect sense yeah but yeah i, I get that every year i don't know why they don't just change just call it the fucking is there a music hall of fame i don't, I don't think so i think it's all genre based there's country yeah. music hall of fame there's yeah true i don't just fucking change smooth it. jazz hall of fame all right, so let's go down to the judge for this episode, Mr. Mike Ranger, for the ruling on the news round. Well, I tell you, Mark, this was this was tough because uh, you've got a bunch of stuff here and it all seems important. Uh, but I got to say, Joe, uh, with 1979 and the Super Bowl, while that uh, that is fantastic. And uh, but I just I just don't like football. Um, <laughs> so. Um, then uh, let, let's take a look here with uh, Nick in uh, 1996 with Rosie O'Donnell getting getting Betty her very own vitamin. Now that that's a feel good story. I like that. That's, Except for the pissing racers part. <laughs> well, that part's not very nice, but I enjoy that uh, Rosie O'Donnell inspired something I can put in my mouth. Uh, but uh, Mark, you've got. Perhaps, uh, you know, just a pivotal moment there. I mean, uh, Aretha Franklin, the, the first woman inducted on, into the, the second year. So there was a long wait. <laughs> now, Aretha Franklin, I mean, I listen to her all the time. I was singing her at the stoplight today. Uh, but as much as I think that your pick might be the most historical, I have to go with Nick in 1996 because I like the idea how Rosie O'Donnell's shape helped better shape our children. <laughs> That's a great way to think about it. Thanks, Rosie. Well, 10 million strong and growing. 10 million strong and, and growing. growing. <laughs> we harmonized a little bit, not on purpose. A little bit, a little bit. Market fix that in post. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> All right, man crush, you picked up a point. You're on the board now, but more importantly, you get to select their next category. Where are we going? Oh. Let's go television. Let's just do this now. Let's go uh, January 9th, 1996. And I again, I was a bit surprised to get a good sitcom premiering in January in 1996. As much as we talked about how much January sucks for pop culture in last week's episode, it wasn't that bad in 1996. And I'll be honest, like uh, I never really watched this show too often when it was on television. That being said, I feel like I missed the boat on it. Uh, we do these things. We just posted one up. Uh, a little bit ago before we came on to record, we post our nightly TV show selections on our Facebook page. And this show here always kills when it's listed versus other shows and like movies from that night. And for those that aren't on our Facebook page, almost every night we pick six shows or movies from the eighties and nineties that were on TV that same night. And we put it on a page post, like a post on our page. So if you haven't done so yet, go over to our Facebook page, like it, so you can add your two cents to those posts. 
Uh, personally, I love making those posts. And again, www.facebook.com forward slash dueling decades. All of our social medias are dueling decades, so it makes it pretty damn easy. Uh, anyways, this show, it was on the air for six seasons, 139 episodes. It didn't conclude until 2001. Uh, it was an NBC show, although the pilot was actually done for ABC in 1995 and was never picked up. Uh, and it featured a pretty big Hollywood name at the time. I think that's why I never originally got into the show. Uh, I'm talking about John Lithgow. He was the main character of the show. And up until the sitcom, he'd basically been a movie guy. So I just didn't see the show being around for that long. Plus, it was NBC. So, you know, how that goes. Um, but the ratings were never that amazing on the show. So I think a lot of people picked up on this one late, like I did. Uh, I, I'm serious. When we put it up, it, it usually wins the night out. I mean, who wouldn't want to tune into an episode named A Nightmare on Dick Street, uh, which ha actually happened to be broadcast in 3D? And that's the other thing. Do you guys remember when TV shows used to do 3D episodes? I remember that specific episode, actually. Yeah. That's Yeah, then that's fucking awesome. Before movies just completely played the fuck out of 3D, it was like an event. You would have to go and get a magazine or, you know, go to your local Walgreens or something where they were selling the 3D glasses for that. It was always, it was shitty 3D, but at the same time, it was cool because it was, it was something different, you know? And now it's just right. like, they never do it. Fucked up. Actually, that episode, it, it wasn't actually about Dick, but it was about Lithgow's character, who was Dick Solomon. So what I notice is a majority of these episodes have Dick in the title. Uh, let me just... Most of these are from the first season, by the way. Uh, we got Post-Nasal Dick, Dick Soup for the Soul, Dick Smoker, Green-Eyed Dick, Lonely Dick, Body Soul and Dick, Truth or Dick, Angry Dick, the art of dick, the dicks, they are a changing. I enjoy being a dick. And my personal favorite here, assault with a deadly dick. Um, again, mostly is from the first season. Uh, the number of porn parodies alone that could be created with these titles is just astonishing. I don't, I don't even know. Maybe they have been. Uh, but anyways, this is the, uh, the French Stewart, Kristen Johnston, Joseph Gordon Levitt, John Lithgow, classic third rock from the sun where, some aliens come to Earth and hijinks ensue when they try to believe, like make everybody else believe that they're human. It's actually it's pretty damn funny. And especially now, if you watch a, a lot of the episodes or clips or whatever on YouTube, it might even be on Hulu. Uh, Lithgow is magic in this. He's fucking amazing. It's great, great, great show. But uh, Third Rock from the Sun. All right, Joe Finley, what did you bring for the television round? Well, friends and neighbors, let me tell you a little bit about another Great show that uh, debuted in a, on January 26th, 1979. The Dukes of Hazard debuts on this day. Starring John Schneider and Tom Wopat as Bo and Luke Duke, two cousins residing in the fictional Hazard County, Georgia, and they're on probation from running moonshine. Uh, the Duke boys get into various adventures and often foil the schemes of the corrupt county commissioner Boss Hogg and Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane uh, behind the wheel of their classic, iconic 1969 Dodge Charger known as the General Lee. Uh, the show also featured Catherine Bach as Daisy Duke, who her short shorts coined the iconic term of Daisy Dukes in and of itself. And then Uncle Jesse, played by Denver Pyle, the original Uncle Jesse. Take that, Stamos. All right, and then, of course, Waylon Jennings as the balladeer, 
singing and narrating your way through every episode. Uh, the show ran for seven seasons, totaling a to- uh, 147 episodes. And just a lot of iconic stuff. Like people know about this show who have never seen a frame of it. They know Bo and Luke Duke. They know the generally, they know what Daisy Dukes are. They, you know, it's uh, the jumps, the, the big stunt jumps and just a lot of good times from that show and some, uh, poorly aged iconography. But for the, <laughs> <laughs> but for better or for worse, uh, the Dukes of Hazard, it was a big show. Uh, it was a classic, and it debuted January 26, 1979. Am I the only one that slides over the hood of my car to get in and go, just a good old boys, <laughs> never meaning no harm? I tried that once. Never did get that dento. <laughs> I, well, I always fall off, and then I have to get up and then get in the car and then sing the song. So. Yeah, I've been doing it since the day I was born. <laughs> <laughs> since the day they were born. <laughs> Straight knickers. Round in the hills. <laughs> Someday, Someday the mountain, the mountain might, might get them, but the Lord never will. <laughs> Making their way. <laughs> the only way they know how. That's just a little bit more than the law will allow. Oh, Mike, the drugs are kicking in. Oh, man. <laughs> on, on my side, it's just aspirin because I got a blazing headache, but it's working. <laughs> Oh, that was fun. All right, gentlemen. My TV pick begins with an episode of Cheers on January 22nd, 1987, with the episode entitled Spellbound. And that's where Diane and Carla console Loretta, who has recently caught Nick cheating on her. And then Nick is convinced that Sam is trying to steal Loretta away from him. So naturally, Nick does the only thing he can. He tries to steal Diane from Sam. This episode is actually a setup for a debut later on in the evening as Nick Tortelli goes to Las Vegas to win back the love of Loretta and has a life-changing epiphany during the bus ride there while having a bad dream. All of this happens in the very first episode of The Tortellis. Nick moves in with Loretta and her sister, who actually seems to play the only straight, normal person on the show, as well as Nick's son, Anthony, and his new wife, Annie. As seen in a previous episode of Cheers, he moves in with them, and Anthony helps Nick start his new TV repair business centered in Las Vegas, because Nick figures out, hey, there's more TVs in Las Vegas than anywhere. I'm a great TV repairman. Perfect place for me to set up shop. So the show only lasted a mere 13 episodes, unfortunately, but <laughs> much like Drew Zachman has Monica Lewinsky, you have Loretta. I have my Loretta. <laughs> Loretta. Because that's I think that's the second time I've heard. And that's not it. Was it a I, I watched Cheers, but I wasn't like a huge fans. Was it like uh, a big, big character? I don't even remember who she was. Gene Kasem. It was Casey Kasem's wife. It was uh Geez, it was Nick's on-again and off-again wife for most of the seasons. After he left Carla and that ended, he got together with Loretta, who was, like, the most annoying character ever. <laughs> She's the most annoying character ever on TV until Janice from Friends came around. And if you ever put those two in the room together, Loretta and Janice, that the world would blow up right there. That's it. Maybe get Fran Drescher from The Nanny in there as well. At least she's hot. <laughs> All right, let's toss it down to Mike Ranger for the ruling on the television round. 
Well, once again, you've all given me uh, a lot to think about. And uh, Mark, while, while I do love your pick, uh, mostly because I know that how much you love Cheers. So you must have been so happy to be able to choose this. Yes, because I'm the only person who would like getting the tortellis. No, I mean, I really appreciate it. And as a fan of Cheers myself, I wish I could have went with this one. But we just have some other things here that just are slightly a, a bit bigger. And also, uh, uh, Nick, with 1996 and the debut of Third Rock from the Sun, which is, uh, I mean, a big show. Every, everybody uh, loves that one. And it is a, a weird role for Jonathan uh, Lifgow at the time when you think about it, because he had just come off of like movies like like he's playing like the bad guy in um, Cliffhanger. What was that one with Denzel Washington? You know, and Where Raising was- Cane and um, Re- yeah, 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 and stuff like that. So you're not expecting him to play this like kind of goofy kind of kind of role you know i mean even though i guess if you look at like harry and the hendersons but um and i wish i could have went with that one however i love the duke boys and joe with 1979 um i mean that show is just it should have been called let's let's go jump something uh but i mean i love that show. when i was a kid my um my uncles actually bought me a general lee like pedal car and uh, the uh, you could turn the key and it would like kind of, you can kind of get the uh, the engine revving sound. <laughs> that thing was awesome. And it's worth a lot of money now. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Joe and uh, the Duke boys. Y'all come back now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe, you jump out to an early lead and take control of the board heading into our first two point round. Oof. Uh, tough, 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 tough. Um, I think There's only I'm, two things. I know, but and and it's the same points for either one, so it really doesn't matter. Which is <laughs> my being torn is really just a personal inward yeah, battle creative. that you guys don't be have to creative. worry about. Uh, all right, let's go with hot products. Okay, so in January of 1979, uh, Black and Decker has uh, had released a personal appliance uh, that was actually based on a design that they used for the Apollo space po- program. Uh, the motor that they used for a drill that was used to obtain rocks uh, on the moon, uh, it was lightweight, it had low energy consumption, and it was perfect for this little device that they wanted to sell, which was this personal vacuum. And in January of 1979, the Black & Decker's Dustbuster was born. Black & Decker sold a million Dustbusters in their first year, which was four times the number of conventional vacuums that were sold in the U.S. that year. Uh, its success led to Black & Decker starting their own whole home appliance division. Uh, and the, an original Dustbuster is in the Smithsonian right now as... A as an icon in innovation. Uh, so, and the term dustbuster, much like Kleenex or Xerox, has just become the generic term for a personal vacuum. So, I give you the dustbuster by Black and Decker on January 1979. Solid. I've been waiting for that one to come up on the show. We had a dustbuster back in the day, one of the original ones. Those things were awesome, man. All right, Man Crush, what do you have for the hot products round? All right, let's go January 3rd, 1996, and uh, this is a first. It's uh, it's a clam that's inspired by Star Trek as a hot product. How do you like that? Uh, so in 1996, uh, cell phones obviously weren't very popular yet. They were around, but they weren't hugely popular. One, uh, they were too fucking big, and they were crazy expensive. The service coverage sucked ass, and in spite of all those three factors, most of us... Just had a beeper and like 
thinking back to like my bar hopping days in 1996, I knew like one girl that had a cell phone and it was one of those enormous cell phones that came with a carrying case. So at this point, <laughs> most people, they were just waiting for something to come along that was semi-affordable that they can easily put in their pocket. You know, like, would you ever think about this before? Like, where the hell did people put the Zach Morris phone? You literally needed to either carry that beast in your hand at all times or shove it down your pants like a moron. I mean, or carry a gigantic purse. Like, who wanted to deal with that? You forced Poindexter Nerdlinger to carry it around for you. <laughs> or, you yeah, or you had a, some lackey that would carry your shit because that thing was, it was huge. If I know it looks big on TV, but if you've seen that thing in person, it was massive. Uh, well, on January 3rd, 1996, all that began to change with the inception of the wearable phone. Inspired by the Star Trek communicator, Motorola releases the StarTac. This was your first ever flip cell phone to hit the market with a really snazzy clamshell. Do you guys remember these phones? They were almost like a mini version of the classic Nextel design, but no. like half the size. Yeah, this this was like a big deal in the late 90s. This is billed as the world's smallest and lightest cell phone on the market. Uh, it was a palm-sized StarTac. It weighed only 3.1 ounces with the standard battery inside of it. By comparison, the new iPhone 12 that just came out is about 6 ounces. So it was about half the weight of that. Uh, in an article from January 15th of 1996, this also bills the phone as having the first vibrate mode which is a silent ring feature. Woo uh, in the same article, there's some asshat competitor that says, and I quote smaller, isn't always better. Research shows that Americans like a phone that they get balance on their shoulder for hands-free operation. Uh, okay. Guy. No, I'm sure nobody knows who that fuck that guy is anymore. Uh, the, the star tech uh, initially launched at a thousand dollars retail around $1,700 in 2021. However, by January 1997, these phones are already down in the $400 range. And depending on like what sales are running, I found ads even around like $350. Not to mention by 1997, there were a slew of quote-unquote wearable phones that just followed Motorola's lead, pretty much just copied them. But I give you the end of big-ass cell phones. January 3rd, 1996 with the StarTac. All right, guys. So for my hot products pick, uh, published January 1987, I give to you issue number one of a comic drawn by the iconic Steve Ditko. Yes, Steve Ditko, the same artist who famously drew Spider-Man. Uh, based off the popular children's cartoon of the time and lasting a mere four issues, my pick for hot products is Marvel's Chuck Norris Karate Commandos. <laughs> Cult of the Claw Ninjas takes an elementary school class hostage using traditional Japanese ninja weapons, guns, in order to force the government to give them their new super cruiser, a.k.a. an RV. Chuck and the rest of the commandos spring into action to save the children. Throughout the issue, there are constant references back to uh, a book, James Cavill's The Children's Story a book that the class is reading that Chuck and the Commandos happen to take a great interest in. The Children's Story is a book that is a fable about a dystopian future in America where the children are brainwashed by an authoritarian, collectivist dictatorship. Fine reading, I thought, for an elementary school. 
and for a comic book for children. So it also had a cartoon. It did also have a cartoon. Well, the and comic toys. book. <laughs> The comic book was based on the cartoon. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. And it was all drawn. They got Steve Ditko to draw this. So the art is very familiar. It's got Chuck Norris in it. You can't go wrong. You can go out now and you can pick up. You can probably get all four issues of it for under 10 bucks. So if you're a big fan of Chuck Norris, you can't miss out on uh, Marvel's Chuck Norris and the Karate Commandos. And then when you're done with that, go uh, get a copy of top dog <laughs> you'll love it well let's go down to our own top dog mike ranger for the ruling on the hot products round well you know when when thinking about how to, how to judge hot products i have to ask myself like which one here made the world a better place so we've got joe in 1979 with the dust butter with the dust buster quaint little piece from the 1980s Call the dustbuster, um, but uh, yeah, and then you've got Nick with uh, the uh, the the end of uh, gigantic phones, and then I have to ask myself: Did did phones make the world a better place? <laughs> Especially small phones. You know what's funny about phones is they were they were gigantic phones, and then we got them down to small phones, and then we now we want big phones again. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. yeah. But you could be carrying around a fucking satchel. Well, Indiana Jones has a satchel. Yeah. Well, it's like the same thing it's with stylish, headphones. Man. Headphones started out huge, and then we got them all the way down to the, like these little micro earbuds. Now everybody wants big headphones again. Yeah, People can't see this right now, but my headphones weigh 37 pounds, and my neck really hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's using my own, my own argument against myself, which I think I brought this up with you, but it's not so much phones as I think uh, the internet is what... <laughs> destroyed the world uh it's good and bad i think both of those are good and bad i think phones are good and bad also but uh i mean dude would you rather i like i wouldn't want to carry around a, a brick with me i don't know honestly like i don't even want to carry a cell phone around with me anymore but can you imagine living without one now mike if you're talking about making the world a better place chuck <laughs> norris and the, and the karate commandos they made the world a better place every single day. Well, that's exactly where I was going with it, Mark, and I'm glad that you beat me to it. Depends on who, depends on who you ask, though, because in 2021, this that would be totally shunned. Yeah. You can't have that. You know what? He's right. I think, I think Chuck Norris might be a bit too American for everybody's liking right now. Yes, you cannot. You know? I mean, I, somebody would totally, like, not appreciate Invasion USA the same way anymore. Or, or teaching school children about You know, somebody would feel futures. bad for the communists. Yeah, or teaching school children about dysotopian futures or where their lives are taken over by dictators. Yeah. yeah. Why not? You know, just your average everyday episode of uh, Texas Ranger. Yeah. Where, where his DA friend gets kidnapped every other episode. And Haley Joel Osment had AIDS. Yeah, he did. And uh, fuck HIPAA because uh, you're just going to get told by a federal marshal that you have AIDS. <laughs> yeah. If I if I get it, though, who better than Chuck to let me know? Uh, yeah, I guess. But he like he's playing a character. So he's not he's Texas Walker Ranger or no. Yeah, yeah. I always fuck that up. Yeah. <laughs> his name wasn't texas walker texas ranger yeah yeah it would be cool if it was though i i could totally get it along with either one i kind of uh, wish his name was texas yeah. <laughs> you know 
Texas Walker Frazier. Like, imagine if Texas was named after after Chuck. <laughs> It'd be pretty sweet. He has a statue. <laughs> He's getting toppled. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in um, all seriousness, even though I think Chuck does make the world a better place. Uh, I have to say that I think that perhaps the Dustbuster is my is my favorite pick here because it cleans things without uh, carrying a cord around. Well, let me throw something out at you. We're in a two point round, so shit's wide open here. I vaguely recollect a couple days ago drilling hole into the table of the studio. And you brought your dustbuster, and the battery ran out. We were fucked, and we had shit all over the place. That's because that wasn't the one that was out in '79. Yeah, and it wasn't made by Black and Decker. Uh, but at the same time, you have to also allow for uh, you know human error because I did not charge it before I left, <laughs> which you know people do with their cell phones all the time. And <laughs> mine had 14 hours of standby time and one straight hour of talk time. Mm. That's true. This is tough. Did your did yours come <laughs> with Snake pre-installed? There were no games on those. It was just a flip phone. You could just you can actually text on the phone, which is pretty cool. Uh, I watched a a video today of the phone. It, it was a little clunky. You had to do the old T nine, but the weird thing that they had in there is like, say you, I sent a text to Mark, and then I wanted to send a text to Joe. Since I sent a text to Mark first, I had to go in and delete the text to retype it in. <laughs> little clunky. Little clunky. No wonder you have a headache today, man. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I watched seven hours of StarTac fucking research <laughs> videos. But if you want some games included with your hot product, you can just dump a bunch of Cheerios on the ground and play live-action Pac-Man with a dustbuster. See? I like that. You're making your own fun. What what are you doing with the flip phone? Fucking throw it. It's going like this. (laughs) You're flicking your thumb on it. Dude, do you remember like the feel of that phone, though? Like how good the flip down was it? Like it felt like something when you put it down. It was legitimate. It was like a smack. Yeah, don't you remember how good the feel of the suction of the dustbuster felt? I mean, sorry. Uh, <laughs> nothing feels better than a clean house. Somebody was going to go there. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it comes down to which one I felt more was was more aesthetically pleasing in my hand. Do I want something big and bulky? Palm-sized. Do I want something palm-sized? Fits in my pocket? Take away. Wait, are I go? you one of those Americans that would rather balance a phone on their shoulder? <laughs> there's a there's a group of americans that want to do that yeah you didn't hear me this that guy that was in the article said uh you know smaller doesn't necessarily mean better because research says that americans want to balance the phone on their soul on their shoulders well think about it this way you can also lose that tiny phone where you wouldn't lose the big phone that sounds like some and it's also Chuck doubles Norris as a shit. weapon <laughs> How often have you lost your phone? I've lost one phone in my entire life. I've never lost a phone. <laughs> I've lost I've lost one. I, I lost one last week. Oh, no. <laughs> Didn't you buy a new one? Yeah, that's why. I had to oh, oh, shit. I, I thought you yeah. just upgraded. Yeah. I changed my son's diaper, left the area, realized I didn't have my phone because I'd put it down on the change table. And when I came back, it was gone already. Like 30 seconds. Gone. Yeah. 
Yeah, the worst part is is that the phone's somewhere in the house. I haven't left the house. I just don't know where the <laughs> fuck it is. My dumb stoner ass can't find it. I lost mine <laughs> drunk in Vegas. I lent it to my buddy Justin to make a phone call. This is like 2005, 2006. And he was at uh, the blackjack table. He put it down and gone. He's like, yeah, I gave it back to you. I was like, no, he didn't. Now he accidentally bet it on red. <laughs> he might have given it back to me. I was drunk. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, fine. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take it as it is. <laughs> all right joe so you pick up the two points in that round ah, that means you win this game but we're gonna head on to the final music round anyway would you like to go first or are you gonna defer i'll go first what the hell uh <laughs> why not this so it's only living right um so i bring you to a band this was their first ep released January of 1979. Uh, and the uh, vocalist actually had to borrow 148 pounds. We're talking pounds right now uh, from his father to self-produce the, the album and had to enlist his mother to help him glue the record sleeves together themselves for distribution. Um, this album was Def Leppard's debut, the Def Leppard EP. And uh, so Joe Elliott uh, did all of this himself. He financed it himself. And this is even back in a time, just to put everything into perspective, Rick Allen still had two arms. He was drumming with two arms back then, baby. <laughs> didn't lose didn't lose that one till 84. Uh, but they did manage to sell out in their original pressing, and they managed to get their EP into the hands of some pretty important DJs and got... Uh, crashed the stage of a DJ's session in Sheffield University, and they went on to play uh, that their single Ride Into the Sun uh, on his BBC radio show, and it made it to 84 on the BBC singles charts. And that's just a, you know, a little indie self-produced EP. Um, so other songs from the album, uh, Get Your Rocks Off and The Overture, were re-recorded for their debut LP on Through the Night. Uh but, you know, this was the beginning of them. They went on to make 11 studio albums, totaling over 100 million albums sold. Uh, and, yeah, this was just the beginning of the legend of Def Leppard with the Def Leppard EP. I saw them about four years ago. It's 20. Oh, shit. Now it's five years ago. 2016. I saw them as far as all the elder bands that I've seen, like guys that are in their 60s or whatever. Mm -hmm. They are the best. Yeah. Live. It was an insane show. Amazing. I, I couldn't believe how good they were. All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the music round? Oh, all right, let's go uh, January 31st, 1996. Uh, pretty late month overall for music, but there was one particular release that stood out for me. Uh, now, my first vehicle that I had was my mother's hand-me-down 1990 Ford Taurus station wagon, uh, the Shaggin wagon. It was well-equipped, light gray beast plush maroon interior uh, and also had a huge white zombie decal on the back window. I was that guy. <laughs> and uh, there was, there was one cassette tape that was always in my car. And it was this one, not because it was my favorite cassette. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't my favorite. The reason it was always in my car and not in my house was because of the cover art. I don't know if I mentioned this on the show before, but my mom is a notorious clean freak. Notorious. My house growing up was like a museum. So my mother, she had this habit of going into my room and dusting and cleaning all the time. 
And I just couldn't explain to her why I owned a cassette tape where there was a farmer finger banging a lamb on the cover. <laughs> so it always remained in my car. So this particular album, it was entitled Heavy Petting Zoo. Or if you own the record where the farmer is actually, he's not finger banging the lamb. He's in the 69 position with the lamb head deep in the ass, deep, very deep. And they actually called that one eating lamb. It was still heavy petting zoo, but they wrote eating lamb and the spine actually said heavy petting zoo. But uh, even though this was a punk album, it was a pretty large punk band. It did actually peak at number 63 on the Billboard 200, which is wildly successful for a punk album. Uh, I'm assuming that the popularity of the punk bands like Rancid and Green Day around this time had something to do with this. Uh, but they must have loved lamb fuckers in Sweden because this album peaked at number 13 in Sweden, wow. which is fucking crazy. I think it was number, it was number 20 in Austria. Uh, the album, it broaches on a lot of topics. Although, uh, Mark, you might want to skip one track. Uh, there is a track called August 8th, which is basically about the death of Jerry Garcia. However, <laughs> lead singer uh, Fat Mike, he has a quote on the official NoFX website. Uh, which which is punk as fuck. Uh, someone asks him on Heavy Petting Zoo, and I quote, and I had to reword this because the person was probably from Sweden, like I said before, because the words were all out of fucking whack. But it says, on Heavy Petting Zoo, there's a song called August 8th. What does this date mean for you? And I quote Fat Mike, and he says, this is pretty funny. I wrote this song about Jerry Garcia dying because I fucking hate the Grateful Dead. But it turns out I had the date wrong. He really died on August 9th. Whoops. I guess I'm lame. Uh, anyways, here's the album Heavy Petting Zoo by No Effects. Coincidentally, there are zero songs about animals or bestiality on this entire album. So uh, go check that one out. Wow. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, guys. For my music selection, this is this band's second EP. And it was an album that was a staple of my youth once I discovered it in my sister's tape rack. You know, and what's not to love about this EP's title track? It melds comedy, rap, and metal flawlessly for the very first time. It includes a quote from the Rodney Dangerfield classic, Easy Money. It includes samples from the Beastie Boys, Run DMC, Metallica, and the great Sam Kinison. And it's all set to the tune of the Jewish folk song, Have Nagila. It also happens to be the song that teaches us that Scott plays stickball and he likes to skate. Frank is never on time. He's always sleeping. <laughs> Released January 1st, 1987, I give to you the I'm the Man EP from Anthrax. You know, halfway through the Among the Living tour, Anthrax decided it was time to give back to their rabid fan base and they put out this EP. It includes three versions of I'm the Man, the radio edit, the deaf uncensored version, and the extremely deaf ill uncensored version, as well as a killer cover of Black Sabbath's Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, and it has some live cuts from some Anthrax fan favorites caught in the mosh in their ode to Judge Dredd, I Am the Law. I'm the Man has always been a staple in the Anthrax lineup, and uh, you know they're still t they were still tearing it up when I saw them back with John Bush in the early 2000s. Songs still in the live lineup then. Matter of fact, Anthrax was the only show I ever got backstage passes to. 
Uh, I had them all sign a cover of an Anthrax DVD collection I have. Got that hanging right here in the man cave. So if you've never checked out this one, it's an absolute must. Go check it out. Uh, if you skip the radio edit, the whole album runs under 25 minutes. So it's the I'm the Man EP by Anthrax, January 1st, 1987. And that explains why you were sending me Anthrax shit yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I always worry about that because like, I like to post it. We also have a private Facebook group. So if you go to our Facebook page, you go to the groups, join the groups. There's an 80s, 90s group and a 60s and 70s group. But I like to like if I'm watching something at night, I'll tend to put a picture of the big screen and whatever yep. it is. And what are you watching tonight? And if you guys have ever noticed, and I'm kind of like showing my hand here, but I'll, I'll quite often I like to watch the movies that I do and I'll throw them up there. So I don't know if you guys have noticed that put two and two together, but go and check out our group too. If you haven't done that as, but uh, thanks Mark for sending me your pick the other day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's head down to Mike Ranger for the final verdict on this game. Well, I got to tell you, Mark, um, I, you know, uh, after uh, uh, Nick read, uh, you know, his pick, I was thinking that was pretty fucked up. But you found yours in your sister's rack. <laughs> <laughs> Shit happens. I don't know what to say here. I think I might. Uh, but uh, yeah, Joe, you've got a pretty, uh, pretty big one there with Def Le Leopard in their first EP. But Nick, I, I, I like uh, where you went with your your insane, insane pick. <laughs> I wish I knew more punk music. That's what makes this difficult is that I don't really I've never heard this. Yeah. Oh, dude, like some of the tracks on here, you got uh hobophobic. We're scared of bums. Uh, the title, I, don't, I guess there's no singles from this album, but if you were to pick a single, it would be filthy, filth philanthropist. Uh, so you get like filthy, filth philanthropist. You've taken what you should give away. Filthy fill you gave to us what we cannot repay. Like, Fat Mike's got a very flat voice that I can't do. I can't do many voices I don't know, I like what all. you did with the harmonies there. That was great. I tried. <laughs> nobody, nobody was, I hope Mark fixes that in post. But uh, yeah, dude, there's, uh, there's a lot to this. I mean, uh, Drop the World's Great Song, Lies Are Released to Hostages. Usually in punk music, there's always a message that's what I was thinking. They're probably I'm tr I'm just trying to figure out what exactly were they trying to say. There's a lot of messages in this album. There, like No Effects has a lot of messages in a lot of their albums. Right. At this point, they were doing, um, oh, man, like MTV did like Rock the Vote or whatever. I can't remember what he had in the early 2000s, but he hated Bush, so there was like a whole thing of like uh, like Punk the Vote or some shit like that. So there was always a message, and I think this is kind of where it started, like mid '90s. You got a lot more of that, like there no effects, older stuff from older stuff, like late '80s, early '90s, was shit that I was really into. And this came out my senior year. This shit was always in my car, always playing it, driving around in mom's fucking station wagon that she gave me. People looking at me with the white zombie and my grocery getter. Uh, yeah, dude. I mean, it's that that's punk as fuck right there. Driving around your mom's grocery gear. <laughs> but yeah, man, he was a, if he was afraid of bums and he hated Bush, well, no wonder he was so angry. Well, I think the, the hobophobic is more about people that are scared of bums, uh -huh. not him. And uh, if, again, I, like I like to throw things out there. Like if you guys 
have Amazon Prime, there is a no. Well, it's actually it's, it's about Fat Records, which is uh, Fat Mike's label. It's a huge punk label. Uh, there's a documentary about it. I think it was only released like a couple of years ago, but it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, you can go watch that. And it's it's actually pretty interesting going through the whole history of their label and how, you know, it's kind of just like a bunch of friends together doing drugs. That's what he's talking about in the whole thing. He's like, yeah, you know, we go on tour, we do drugs, release records. Oddly <laughs> enough, just like the Grateful Dead. <laughs> <laughs> which he which he hated, I guess. Well, there you go. But his words, not mine. Yeah, so this is it's a bit difficult because I I, I love the uh, I love the undergroundness of uh, of your pick, uh, but again, Mark found his in his sister's rack, and that's just hilarious. <laughs> it was a tape rack, man. Come on, fail. <laughs> well, that just ruins it. But um, anyway, uh, <laughs> no, but really, I think I have to once again. I think I got to give this to Joe because uh, you, you've got the beginning of uh, Def Leppard and. You know, it's the most famous band with, with a uh, one-armed drummer. It's up there. Yeah. And you wouldn't have gotten the Bloodhound Gang uh, lyric where they're like, the drummer from Def Leppard's only got one arm. And they keep saying it like 86 times. Yes. You wouldn't have had that. Yeah, he would have just been celebrating a guy with two arms, which would be weird. <laughs> yeah. The drummer from Def Leppard's got two arms. Congratulations. Doesn't go as much. Doesn't go as much. Not as catchy. <laughs> no doubt. I like what you did with it, though. <laughs> I try. I try. Yeah, keep an eye, keep an eye up for Nick's album coming out soon. He's dropped three singles. <laughs> Mark's gonna take like all of my fucking music shit and put it together into one song. Please, we've for we've been thinking about doing that for us. <laughs> It'll be on the Spotify. <laughs> but you know what's always interesting about those older tracks? I think the same thing popped up when I had a police pick a couple months back about like these late 70s bands that you know just kind of bootstrapped everything and put it together it's so much different back then and at the same time it's so much the same as it is right now two different mediums but like the same you know these small bands putting stuff together and putting it out in digital yeah compared to you know what they were doing back then and i don't even know what they did because a lot of times they you have to tour you know you have to tour and get out there and get your name heard or like play bars and shit. So this past year, like, do you ever wonder like what the fuck have those bands been doing that are trying to get yeah. their name out? Like just releasing shit, writing shit. I don't even know. YouTube, I guess. So hopefully caveat for 2021, hopefully we'll get some kick-ass fucking new music. May hopefully kick-ass new music from old bands, because I haven't heard much kick-ass new music from new bands i don't know maybe that's just me but i haven't uh i haven't heard anything where i'm like oh shit that's really good i'm gonna buy the album all right well congratulations again to joe finley for picking up the win on this episode thank you guys so much it's been uh i've had a little bit of a uh little bit of a uh down streak uh as of late so i've been happy i was happy to bring one out this time jesus christ i think that's like I don't know. I might have lost like five in a row now. All right, duelers. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to end this episode right here. But don't worry. If you've missed an episode, you can always head back on our webpage, duelingdecades.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, really everywhere you can find podcasts. And while you're on those interwebs, head on over to facebook.com forward slash duelingdecades, as Man Crush mentioned. 
and uh, join our private group where you can share some of your very own retro memories. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. I know this is the end of the episode and you've probably turned it off already, but for the people that haven't turned it off, what I'm asking you to do, because I want to see how many people are still listening, uh, go and leave us a review anywhere. Uh, well, except for Spotify, because they don't have reviews. But if you go to iTunes, Podchaser, like any any platform that has a review, leave us a review because we never ask for them. So I'm actually asking for them now. So if you can, go leave us a review. If you hate my singing, give us one star. If you love it, give us five. Minus five stars. <laughs> Podcast New York. Podcast New York. Be heard.